everybody. How are we doing this Sunday morning? Good. Good. It's good to see you guys. I'm glad you guys decided to come back after last week. I'm just kidding. If you're visiting with us, don't be scared, okay? It's fine. Um, but I am excited to be back with you guys this week um, as we continue. Uh, the section of chapter 3 of the book of Colossians, as many of you guys know, we've been walking through this letter over the past few weeks. And uh, last week, we began to look at chapter 3 with verses 1 through 4, and the goal for today is to finish this section all the way down to verse 17. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and pull those out and open up to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Well, for those of you guys who were with us last week, you guys can remember what we looked at. We looked at how Paul began to make this transition in this letter from chapters 1 and 2 where he was addressing doctrinal issues or outside issues that were trying to infiltrate the church, that were trying to lead it astray from its foundational core beliefs of Christ, of the gospel. They were trying to bring in outside teaching, outside thought of of. Uh, either adding things to the truth or taking things away. Um, and they were, they were leading these young believers of Colossae away from the truth of the gospel. And so that's what Paul was addressing in the first two chapters. And in chapter three, we began to see Paul now practically laying out for these believers what this looks like for them to set themselves up for success, to walk completely and truly in Jesus, regardless of what the outside noise is saying. We saw that in, in uh, chapter 2, verse, uh, verse 8, where it says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition and according to the elemental spirits of the world. And then later on in that same chapter, in verse 18, he says, Let no one disqualify you, assisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, being puffed up with reason by sensuous minds. And he goes on and on and on. So again, he's, he's declaring, he's making this statement to them. He says, hey, be on guard. Don't let these people who are outside of the gospel infiltrate the truth to where you are now being disqualified to walk in the newness of life in Christ. Now, what about you guys? I don't know where all of you guys are at this morning. Some of you guys are in this position where you know Jesus and you've proclaimed to put your faith up and trust in him, but yet you're allowing outside noise to infiltrate your thought, your faith, your surrender to the gospel. We are called to one truth, and that is God's truth. That he came and sent his one and only son to die on the cross for our sins as propitiation, as a substitutionary atonement. In other words, he came to take your sins so you don't have to bear it anymore. And in that, we now have freedom from sin. We have freedom from the evil things of this world because of the hope that we now have in Christ once you put your faith, hope, and trust in him. That's the reality of, of, of the hope that we now have in Christ. And Paul is trying to remind them of these things. There's nothing else that you need to add to it or take away from it. It's perfect the way it is. Walk in it. And so as I said in, ver in chapter 3, though, in verse 1 through 4, we see Paul beginning to give some uh, practical guidance for these believers on how to continue to walk in this manner. As we looked at last week, the first thing, um, there's this phrase that you see in uh, verse uh, 1. It says, seek the things that are above. And in verse 2, it says, set your minds on the things that are above. So in other words, it, he's calling into action these believers of, hey, don't keep your eyes here. You need to look up always. This is not just physically, but spiritually. 
And we looked at four different things he, to, he uh, told us to look at. And the first thing was the resurrection. Set your mind on the resurrection. Because as a result of the resurrection, we are now positionally in Christ. We are no longer enemies or strangers of God, but rather we are our sons and daughters and co-heirs with Christ in the gospel because of his resurrection. It all hinges upon the resurrection, as Paul talks about in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 7. Go read that chapter. It's phenomenal. The second thing we looked at was set your minds on the things of heaven. In other words, you need to keep your eyes on Christ because Christ laid out for us an example of how we are to live in a manner worthy of the gospel on this life and how we display our character towards one another and how we love one another, how we serve one another. If we are truly desiring to walk in faith in, the Christ, in, in Christ, then we are going to keep our things on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And the third thing was the newness of life in Christ. We've got to remind ourselves daily of this new identity, this new hope that we now have. We are no longer dead to our trespasses and sins. We are no longer a part of the flesh, but rather, who are we in? Jesus, Christ. That's right. We are in Christ. Our identity is in Christ. We is no longer our own. Again, we are positionally in him and we are hidden, as Paul talks about. We are hidden in Christ. It is no longer our own, but it is his. And the last thing we looked at was the future glory. There in verse 4, it says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, and you also will appear with him in glory. There is no greater hope for us in this life than that truth right there. This life is hard. There is evil and wickedness that is running rampant, and that's just the result of sin. But the reality is, is that this is not our permanent home. We are strangers here. We are aliens, as Paul talks about, not like the kind that come in on UFOs, but like we are just, this is not our permanent home. This is temporary. But rather, our permanent home is in heaven, where Christ is, where he went to prepare the way for us. <clears throat> So why are we clinging to the elemental things of this world that do not affect or have a weight on anything in the internal? So we need to keep our eyes on the future things as Paul talks about Romans 8.18. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And then also in Philippians 3, verses 13 and 14, he says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, talking about the, the desires of the flesh in which you once walked in, this manner of life that I once walked in, and straining for what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That is his future glory. So again, Paul lays these out for us as practical guidance, as, as bumpers as you would for those who like bowling. I see you, Brian, right? He puts these bumpers up, these guidelines for us as how we can walk in this manner without allowing this outside noise to come in and infiltrate. <clears throat> but today what we're going to be seeing is how Paul goes from giving practical guidance and steps to overcoming these false teachers or this false uh, teaching that's coming into the church. But rather now he's going to be addressing specific behaviors that as you do these things, 
It's not just a matter of clinging to these things, but rather he's calling us into action of putting off the old self. He's going to be addressing specific behaviors that need to be handled, that need to be denied in this life if you proclaim the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. And not only does he address these, these behaviors that you need to put off, but rather he's going to address behaviors that we need to be putting on. We, we forget about that. We forget that as believers in Jesus, it's not so much of just uh, this idea of asceticism, right? Of just removing things and then living a, a, a lonely life by yourself or, or just that the idea, but rather it's removing the things of the flesh and putting on the things of Christ. That's what he's encouraging us to do in these verses. So I hope you guys brought your seatbelts. Go ahead and get clicked in because we're going to run through these verses because we got quite a few to go through. I'm going to read these verses to us. Because it's a longer section, I'm just going to ask you to remain seated. But will you please follow along? If you don't have, if there's a Bible in the back of the pew, if you don't have your own, or you can follow along on the screens. Um, but we're going to be reading verses 5 through 17. So let's jump in and get to it. So, verse 5. Put to death... Therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, if one has a complaint against forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Father, we come before you giving thanks because of the finished work of the cross. And as a result of that, the death, burial, and resurrection of your son, Jesus, we are now positionally in him, and we now have access to you, and we are able to have fellowship with you. But God, I pray that as we work through this passage, this is so practical, I pray that we will learn how to put off the flesh in which uh, wages war against our soul and put on the newness of life in Christ every single day, Father. I don't care how mature we are in Christ or how new we are in Christ, Father. These are things that we all need to do daily, and I pray that we will heed this, that we will hear Paul's words that are, 
that were written over 2,000 years ago that still practically apply to us today. Will you prepare our hearts? It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Paul opens up this section. We're just going to walk through this. We're going to let Scripture speak for itself here. Verse 5, put to death. Is that, is that a passive statement? Is that like a question that Paul's making? Is this just a suggestion? No, this is an imperative. This is a command. This is something that Paul's like, hey, if, if you are in Christ, you need to put to death what is earthly in you. Because when it comes to the reality of, when you experience Jesus for the first time, it's transformative. As Paul later talks, or talks about elsewhere in 1 Corinthians, he says that for anyone who's in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. So when you experience Christ, there is a newness of life in you. So we need to put to death the things that are contrary to Scripture, that are contrary to Christ and his behavior and his nature. And he gives us this very extensive list of things that is not exhaustive. However, these are the, the ones that not only the church of Colossae were dealing with, but what many of us are dealing with today. I'm not saying you in this room, but I'm saying those in this world today. And he starts off with these of sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and covetousness. Sexual impurity referring, or referring to both within and without marital union. This idea of not remaining faithful. Impurity is speaking to the moral purity the moral, or the moral impurity. These ideas of sensually, suggest, or sensually suggestive thoughts and humor or perverted fantasies or lusting within your heart. These are the things in which he's talking to. When he talks about passion, he's speaking to the depraved affection or uncontrollable desire for sensual relationships, whether it's heterosexual or homosexual. We need to put to death these desires. He doesn't stop there, though. He says not just these desires, but evil desires. He takes it a step further. What does he mean by evil desire? It's speaking to the nature of wicked or bad lust or desire that is controlled by sin. So it's taking these other ones, sexual morality, impurity, and passion, it's taking it to a whole new level. That we need to be on guard against these things and not be controlled by our sin that wages war against our soul. And then lastly, covetousness. Speaking to a specific type of greed that desires or a wanting more outside of what God has given you. We don't need to long after those things that are outside what God has given us. God is sufficient. I love that song that Marcia sang again, the all-sufficient merit. Christ is sufficient in all things. And what he did for us as our atonement to what he now provides for us daily in our spiritual needs. He is sufficient in all things. We don't need to long for the things that are outside of that. That is covetousness, which is idolatry. And we see what Paul talks about there when it comes to these things. On account of these things, what is coming? Hello? The wrath of God. Are y'all awake? Because that's a, that's a very important verse. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. 
Our heart is the most deceitful thing above all things. And we need to guard ourselves against what the flesh is desiring. These sinful actions. And again, this is not an exhaustive list of what Paul is mentioning here of what we are struggling with today. We can go on with, what, with, with this list for a long time. We don't have time for that today. Don't worry, we're not going to do it. But these are just the prominent things that if we're all honest, we have struggled with some of them, if not all of them, at one point in our life. Some of us in this room are still struggling with them today. But he goes from uh, listing out these sinful actions in verses uh, 5 and 6 to going on in verse 7. He says, In these two you once walked and were living in them. So he's reminding these people of like, hey, when you look out and you see those who are struggling with these things, or when you look out in your congregation, you see others struggling with it, you have to remember and remind yourself, hey, I was once there. I know that. Let me come alongside them, support them, encourage them, give them the resources or the love and the attention that they need to overcome and to fight this battle. And he goes on in verse 8, he says, but now you must put them all away. He goes and he continues his list from sinful actions to sinful attitudes. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Now, you guys are probably thinking, man, those first ones that he mentioned, those sinful actions, I'm good. I cleared that list, I'm good. Then you resist on Really, uh, really failed on this one. So anger, anger, this is... This is speaking of the, un, really to the unsafe person, that is the inward attitude of the sinful flesh, okay? So how we respond in, in our flesh. Because anger in itself is not necessarily sinful. Now you guys, are, I got some attention right there, right? Anger in itself is not sinful when you approach it correctly. When you are controlled by the Holy Spirit and you use it for holy reasons, it is not sinful. However, we just need to allow the Holy Spirit to guide us in that. But if we're approaching it from our flesh, that's where it gets hairy. That's where it gets dangerous. And we need to guard ourselves against this. So at any point in your life and you're trying to justify using anger, I'm just going to say don't try to justify it because typically we're wrong most of the time we are angry. There's only a few times where we are righteously angry, right? But the second thing is wrath, and it's similar to the attitude of anger, but can be described as white-hot anger. It is uncontrolled rage expressed through outbursts of temper. Has anybody ever experienced that before? What's that? Only you. Only me? Okay. I was about to say... Hey, man, when I'm watching Tennessee football sometimes, it just gets really, gets really ugly, okay? My, my wife can attest to it. No, I'm just kidding. But anyway, so there's this white, hot anger. We need to put it away. Malice. It's the ill intention or desire to do evil. This idea of animosity or gossip. Anybody done that? Your intention, your intention behind gossip is to put down somebody to ruin their reputation, this idea of slander, this damaging or ruining someone's reputation or status. And lastly, obscene talk. It's this, this idea of disgraceful speech. This one gets touchy. 
Because people don't want to people don't want to give up their, their vocabulary. When we allow each other to come alongside one another to uh, encourage and to, to speak truth to one another, addressing those things that are at the root of your heart. That's when the church is most effective and our witness is most received. No one wants a face or no one wants a false witness. We can go out and share the gospel every single day and, and, and until we're blue in the face. But what really speaks is how we act and how we interact with one another. Again, one of the biggest, you guys ever ask somebody who's they rejected the church, you're like, hey, why do you not go to church? What's one of the most common responses you get? People. That's right. The people, they're hypocrites. They act one way in the church, but man, outside those walls, they're a completely different person. That should not be the case. Oh my goodness, that should not be the case. We need to put to death the things of the flesh, what is earthly in us, so that way we can truly be the witness that we can be for Christ. Putting off the old self with his practices and putting on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after its creator. This idea of constant growth, constantly being renewed by God's knowledge. That's why we must be in God's word daily and allow the word of God to speak to us rather than us try to speak to the word. This book has withstood thousands of years and it has withstood countless times of, being, of trying to be destroyed. Christianity has, tried to, has been tried to be wiped out multiple times throughout the generations and it has still withstood because this word never fails. We stand upon this word. This word goes before us. It speaks and cuts to the hearts of those who hear it. That's why you're here today. At least I hope. And if you're here today and you haven't ever realized your need for Jesus, I pray that you do that today, that you'll allow this word to cut to the heart and you'll recognize your need for a loving savior who wants to restore you and who wants to renew you and bring you into fellowship with him forevermore in his future glory. So put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Let that last part sink in. Put to death what is earthly so that when we put on the new self, we now can uh, be renewed in knowledge after the image of our creator. When we walk around, when we interact with each other, we're not just uh, speaking on behalf of Josh Shell or speaking on behalf of Victor Morrison. No, we're speaking on behalf of God. We are in his image. So let us walk in it. And he goes on, expounds on this idea. He says, here there is neither Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, uh, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and in all. There's no distinction. The gospel message is for all of us. And, he, and the gospel message renews and restores, and, and, and it also uh, transforms every person in the same way. 
doesn't matter what ethnicity you are. It doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter if you're a heterosexual or a homosexual. The gospel message pierces the heart and soul of every man. We have got to allow it to do that. So put to death what is earthly in you. And do not lie to one another or lie to yourself. And then Paul now transitions to things that we must put on. So he gives us these lists of things that we need to take off, but now we need to look at what we need to put on. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. These virtues of Jesus that he portrayed for us all throughout his ministry and his life here on earth. If we were to walk in Christ, we need to put these on as he demonstrated themselves. Compassionate hearts, referring to having a heartfelt sympathy for those who are suffering or in need. This implies that we must, our hearts must be softened and vulnerable, which the culture says the opposite. We need to put on kindness, which is grace in action, having a friendly and helpful spirit. As one commentator I read, he says, it's concrete action of compassion. I love that definition. I love the way he states that. Kindness is concrete action of compassion. This idea of heartfelt sympathy and suffering for the need, putting that in concrete action. Humility, which is an individual that is free from pride, not allowing your pride to lead you, but rather uh, getting rid of that. It's someone who sees himself as a product of divine grace. We are not here because of anything we did. We, we are here because of the grace of God. <laughs> we need to acknowledge that. We need to walk in that. Meekness. This is power under control. It can also be referred to as gentleness. It's a person who is marked with a spirit of quiet, of quiet submission. So as we lead one, it doesn't matter what position you're in. I don't care if you're a CEO of a company. I don't care if you're a principal of a school. I don't care if you're a pastor of a church. We need to, we need to, allow, we need to put our power under control. We need to view one another with great humility and gentleness. This idea of meekness. And then patience. We all love patience. It's wrath that is put far away. Have you ever heard it described that way? So when you're experiencing that wrath, it's the idea, it's, the, it's the, the mindset of putting that far away. It's the capacity to accept or bear uh, injustice or injury without the desire of retaliation or revenge. That's sobering. <laughs> but he goes on, he continues in uh, verse 13. Oh, yeah, so it says, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against each other, what does he say that we must do? Forgive. Forgive. Let go. <laughs> Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Again, this isn't a suggestion. This is a command. As the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. Don't hang on to it. Don't let it eat your soul away. Don't be bitter. But above all these, verse 14, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This idea of love, it's a feeling of deep affection. This is what defines our relationship with God and it's ultimately what dictates how we should interact and treat each other. Love. 
This is what holds all these virtues that we just mentioned, right? Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, tolerance, forgiveness. It's what love is what binds them all together. So may we hold fast to this. For as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, love is patient and kind. The love is not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. 1 John 3.14 says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Going back to what Paul was talking about there in verse 5. The things of the flesh. 1 John 4, 8-10, we are almost done. Bear with me. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be our propitiation for sins. Lastly, John 15. I like John. I like what John says. John 15, 12 through 14. This is my commandment. This is Jesus speaking. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay his life down for his friends. Listen to what he says. You're my friends if you do what I command you. So we must walk in love. If we truly abide in Christ and truly believe that he is our savior, our Messiah, our redeemer, we must love and allow these other virtues to overflow as a result of it. He wraps this up, though, with verses 15 through 17. He says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Rule in your hearts in which you are redeemed and called to one body. This idea of peace is an incredible thing. We must let his peace reign and rule in our hearts. Because this peace refers to divine peace that can only be obtained through the triune God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's also the same peace that refers, it's a ruling peace, which means that it goes before us. It, it commands our every action. It leads us, it guides us. And it's also a unifying peace. So it allows us to be able to come together and fellowship with each other. Let this peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one, God, or one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell. Let it dwell in you richly. Let it take root. Let it affect your daily thoughts. Let it affect your daily actions and desires. Let it dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. In other words, let this peace dwell in you so that way we can come together and do this. Fellowship with one another. Worship with one another as we are called to. In verse 17, this is one that we all know. This is one that we've memorized, I'm sure. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, allow the word of God to lead you. Allow the spirit of God to, uh, to guide you to put to death what is 
uh, against uh, the spirit, as Paul would talk about in Galatians. Let us put to death the flesh that wages war against our soul and let us put on the newness of life in Christ. We'll wrap up with this. 1 Peter 3, 8 through 12. It says, finally, all of you have unity in mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for this is what, uh, for to this you are called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Again, I don't know where we're at. I don't know what's going on in our lives this morning, but I pray that as we've worked through this, that you've allowed God to speak to your heart and to the things in which you are dealing with right now. If you're struggling with any of these sinful actions or sinful attitudes, take time this morning, surrender it. Surrender those things, especially if you're a believer in Jesus. Don't let that take root in your life. Don't let it hold you captive. Don't let it disqualify you. In a, because what's happening is, is that those sinful actions are disqualifying you in a culture that is seeking to destroy Christianity. So don't let those things take you captive or disqualify you of the faith. But rather put on these things in which Paul has uh, told us to put on in verses 12 through 17 compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, forgiving and bearing with one another. That's my prayer for us. And if you're in this room and you, if you're, uh, if you never put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus and you're, and you're hearing these things and you're just like, wow, this is the oddest thing I've ever heard in my life. I pray that you'll allow it to penetrate your heart so that way you can come to know the saving truth of Jesus and that you'll allow these verses to set you free from the bondage of sin and death which wages war against you. Because not until you put your faith up and trust in Jesus will you experience true peace in this life. So I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up as we wrap up. And I'm gonna be down front. Um, if, you, if you need somebody to talk to, you can come talk to me, you can come talk to Victor. I think he's less intimidating. Um, I'm just kidding, he's really, I'm just kidding. But come talk to us, come talk to me. Or if you don't wanna come talk to us, talk to a neighbor, talk to someone that you trust, someone you have a relationship with in that regard who knows Jesus, who knows the truth. Talk to them and let the truth set you free this morning. I'm gonna pray for us and we'll go into this time of invitation. God, we thank you so much for this morning. God, we thank you for your word. It's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And God, it doesn't take much for it to reveal itself to us. We just have to let it speak. And I pray that's exactly what we did this morning. And God, I pray that you will work in the hearts of all of us who are in this room today. Because Lord, the reality is, is that we all struggle with our sin. None of us are, gonna, are perfect in this life. Until we, uh, until we are with you in heaven, we are gonna struggle with sin. So I pray that if there's anything in our hearts that we need to confess that we'll do it this morning. 
there's anything in our hearts that we need to lay down before you, that we will do it. That we will put on the fullness of Christ and walk in a manner worthy of the calling and the prize of Christ Jesus. Lord, I love you. I praise you. And I thank you for this congregation. I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ and how we can walk through this life together. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas.